Praise the Lord. This is Dr. Ruth. I want to thank all of you who have supported us and continue to support us financially with your donations so we can produce uh, this uh, podcast teachings to bless many, many others. I am thanking you uh, from the bottom of my heart, and I know that the Lord is blessing you back. And if you have not yet uh, blessed us with a financial donation, please consider doing so, so that we can pay for studio time to produce more teachings and uh, reach many, many more people. Uh, to donate into this podcast ministry is really simple. We have a safe and secure website. Here is the address for your donation. Uh, the address is drruthtani.org slash donate. Again, drruthtani.org slash donate. And if you live here in the USA, you can use Zelle. And here is a Zelle telephone number where you can send in your donations. It is 909-501-9031. Again, 909-501-9031. We also receive donations through Cash App. Here is the cash app address, is the dollar sign, Dr. Ruth Tanyi. Again, the dollar sign, Dr. Ruth Tanyi. And from the bottom of our hearts, here at the ministry, we say thank you for your donations. And we are trusting God will bless you back, even as you join hands with God and our ministry to advance his work. Again, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome as Dr. Ruth continues her teaching today, still in the book of Numbers. Okay, we are continuing here in the book of Numbers. We are halfway through this fascinating uh, book in the Bible. As you recall, the uh, as we discussed in chapter 16, Korah and his gang had rebelled essentially against the Lord and they had questioned the authority of Aaron and Moses. Essentially, they had rejected God's um, plan for Aaron and his descendants to be the high priest. We talked about that it was ignited by jealousy. So in Chapter 17 here, the Lord is going to reiterate his position and his uh, choice of uh, Aaron and his descendants as the high priest. So let us see how the Lord is going to go about uh, reaffirming Aaron's position and his duties. We begin with uh, verse 1 out of Numbers chapter 17. The Lord said to Moses, verse 2, Speak to the Israelites and get twelve staffs from them, one from the leader of each of their ancestral tribes. Write the name of each man on his staff, verse 3. On the staff of Levi, write Aaron's name, for there must be one staff for the head of each tribe. And the Lord went on to Tell Moses in verse 4 to place the staff in the tent of meeting in front of the Ark of the Covenant, where he will meet them there. In verse 5, he said, The staff belonging to the man I choose will sprout, and I will rid myself of this constant grumbling against you by the Israelites. So we see how the Lord is saying that Moses should tell each leader from the different tribes to uh, select one man and to bring their staffs in front of the tent of meeting. And he will supernaturally um, make it so that the person that he would choose, his staff would stand out from the rest. That way, they would know that that person whose staff would stand out from the rest is the person that he has chosen. 
So he was going to have this physical display of his choice so that everyone uh, could see. And remember, like I said earlier, all of this is just to reiterate and to reaffirm his decision of choosing Aaron so that everybody else can be settled uh, right after the riot that had just taken place by Korah. Okay, we come to verse 6. So Moses spoke to the Israelites and their leaders gave him 12 staffs, one for the leader of each of their tribes. So essentially Moses uh, passed on the instruction and they, they obeyed. Moses placed the staffs before the Lord in the tent of meeting. Take a look at verse 8. The next day, Moses entered the tent and saw that Aaron's staff, which represented the tribe of Levi, had not only sprouted, but had budded, blossomed, and produced almonds. Whoa. So we see how the staff belonging to Aaron had multiplied. It had uh, yielded much fruit. It had blossomed. This was God's approval of Aaron as his chosen priest and his descendants would follow suit. Again, as symbolically, this highlights the will of God in the life of a believer, i.e. to blossom, to shine out, to produce much fruit and abundance when he is walking through us to accomplish his will. That is what Jesus teaches us uh, out of the gospel of John chapter 15, uh, that as we abide in him, he is the vine, we are the branches, and as his word abide in us, we would produce much fruit. So here we see Aaron's staff blossoming, highlighting God's approval. Okay, verse 9. Then Moses brought out all the staffs from the Lord's presence to all the Israelites. So essentially, Moses brought out all of the staff in front of everyone so they can see physically that the Lord had chosen, approved, and reaffirmed Aaron as the high priest and his descendants will become priests. Okay, again, establishing his word. In front of the people again uh, that way they are not confused right after that rebellious act by Korah and his followers verse 10 the Lord said to Moses put back Aaron's staff in front of the ark of the covenant to be kept as a sign to the rebellious so the Lord wanted Aaron's staff that had blossomed to be visibly uh, obvious to everyone who would attempt to rebel against him by making Aaron's staff visibly right there at the Ark of the Covenant. That way the Israelites could see that every day and are reminded that Aaron is God's chosen servant. And verse 11, Moses obeyed and did just as the Lord had commanded. Verse 12, the Israelites now are afraid because the Lord had reaffirmed Aaron. Uh, God did not change his mind. You see, all of their rebellious actions against, Korah, I mean, against uh, Aaron and Moses, as ignited by Korah, did not cause God to change his mind. Our actions, <laughs> please listen carefully, our rebellious actions would not cause God to change. God is unchangeable in his core essence. When he says something, he means it. He doesn't waste a breath. So you would be wise to just obey. And I have said this throughout this teaching, that because of God's grace and mercy, the outcome of his uh, punishment towards us, towards those who disobey him, may change. And that may just be his mercy. But at his core essence, God is unchangeable. Okay? So we see here how God had already chosen Aaron as a high priest. He wasn't going to change that in spite of the people's rebellious actions towards him. 
So that is what we are learning from this uh, chapter here, which is a consistent theme across the scripture. Now, in verse 12, the Israelites are afraid. They are screaming, we will die. We are lost. We are all lost. <laughs> verse 13, anyone who even comes near the tabernacle of the Lord will die. We are all going to die. They were just afraid because they had seen, again, another miraculous act of God confirming Aaron as his chosen high priest. So now they are afraid that they're going to die because they had rebelled against the Lord. But um, again, God did not do that here. So that brings us to the end of chapter 17. And we pick it up here in chapter 18. And the gist of this chapter is that before the Israelites actually get into the promised land, the Lord would uh, offer or the Lord would give more ordinances or duties uh, for the priests and the Levites in preparing them when they get into the promised land. So we are going to go over some of uh, these additional duties for the priests and the Levites. Again, he had to reiterate their duties, reaffirming their duties right after that rebellious act uh, out of chapter 16. And also in this uh, chapter, the Lord would also uh, give further ordinances about offerings for the priests and the Levites. So let's take a look at uh, the first few verses here out of Numbers chapter 18. The Lord said to Aaron, you your sons and your family are to bear the responsibility for offenses connected with the sanctuary, and you and your sons alone are to bear the responsibility for offenses connected with the priesthood. So we see how the Lord had, had already affirmed Aaron's position as the high priest in front of the Israelites. Now he is reaffirming that uh, to Aaron, himself reiterating his responsibilities as priest, okay? So he is already saying that Aaron and his uh, family, his sons, would bear the responsibility to care for the sanctuary. sanctuary. Verse 2, bring your fellow Levites from your ancestral tribe to join you and assist you when you and, when you and your sons minister before the tent of the covenant law. What is happening here is that the Lord will assign the Levites as co-workers or assistants to Aaron and his sons. Okay, So the Levites would be helping Aaron in the sanctuary or in the tabernacle. Take a look at verse 2 there, uh, verses Two through four, the Lord would give Aaron specific instructions how him, God, had chosen the Levites as his co-workers to assist him in the tabernacle with a caring for the sanctuary. So um, Aaron remains the high priest. His descendants remain the high priests and the Levites would do the other godly services around the sanctuary. And the Lord was just reiterating to Aaron that I know that it is a lot of work, but I have assigned the Levites to help you in this endeavor. They will join you and be responsible for the care of the tent of meeting. All the work at the tent, uh, the Levites would help uh, Aaron to do. That was highlighted there in verse 4. Take a look at verse 5. You are to be responsible for the care of the sanctuary and the altar so that my wrath will not fall on the Israelites. Verse 6. I myself have selected your fellow Levites from among the Israelites as a gift to you. So the Lord just went on to reiterate how he had chosen the Levites and had dedicated them uh, to Aaron as his uh, 
co-workers, okay, as helps to him as the priest. They will help him in his duties as the high priest. Look at verse 7. But you, but only you and your sons may serve as priests in connection with everything at the altar and inside the curtain. I am giving you the service of the priesthood as a gift. So that is um, what the Lord was saying there, just reiterating Aaron and his descendants as the high priest and the Levites would walk at the sanctuary to help Aaron. Let's take a look at verse 8. Now the Lord, beginning with verse 8, all the way to verse 24, the Lord would tell Aaron or reiterate it to Aaron how him and his sons who would serve him as a who would serve him as priest would be allowed to eat from the offerings the people would bring to him at the sanctuary. We have already gone through this, so I will just highlight a few verses here. Again, the Lord is just reiterating. And there's a principle here that those who work for the Lord as priests, as ministers, and as pastors are to be fed out of the offerings and the tithing that the people will bring to the Lord. This principle has not changed. It is still the same. So we will see how the Lord would reiterate this principle here to Aaron uh, again as they proceed to the promised land, they would enforce this. So let's take a look at some verses here. Uh, Verse 8, Then the Lord said to Aaron, I myself have put you in charge of the offerings presented to me. All the holy offerings the Israelites give me, I give to you and your sons as your portion, your perpetual share. Again, reiterating how he would feed his priest. Verse 9, you are to have the part of the most holy offerings that is kept from the fire. Again, Aaron and his sons are to eat the best part of the offering. Verse 10, eat it as something most holy, okay? Verse 11, this also is yours. Whatever is set aside from the gifts of all the wave offering is also Aaron's. And in verse 12, the Lord also gave him the finest olive oil and the grain offering that the people would bring. Uh, The first fruit also is mentioned there. Also in verse 13, all the lands, first fruits that they bring to the Lord will be yours. Wow, what an honor. And in verse 14, Everything in Israel that is devoted to the Lord is yours. Again, uh, God uh, uh, reiterating uh, and assuring Aaron and his sons how he would provide for their daily needs through the people's offerings. Let's come down to uh, verse uh, verses 14 through 16. Again, just reiterating. You can read those. Look at verse 17. But you must not redeem the firstborn of a cow, a sheep, or a goat. They are holy. Splash their blood against the altar and burn their fat as a food offering and aroma pleasing to the Lord. So here the Lord is making distinction that um, Aaron would not eat the firstborn of a cow or a sheep. He should offer them as a burnt offering. But in verse 18, the meat is uh, for Aaron to eat. And uh, the rest of those verses, he is just reiterating that he had given Aaron the holy things for him to eat. And then uh, if you come down towards the end of verse 19, the Lord said, It is an everlasting covenant of salt before the Lord for both you and your offspring. Again, remember the covenant of salt. We talked about the significance of salt in the life of a believer. Okay, uh, it it solidified the 
ordinance that the Lord was giving here to uh, Aaron. We talked about her salt as a preservative. It preserved things. And in, and in the light, and in the life, rather, of a believer, i.e. a Christian, salt symbolizes the, the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. In today's language, we would say it seals the deal. Okay, it solidifies the uh, ordinance that the Lord was giving to Aaron there, and it preserves salt. It's used to preserve food, but in the life of a believer, uh, we are preserved by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So we see salt being referred here by the Lord to say that this ordinance that he is uh, giving to Aaron is solidified. Okay, it is to be preserved across all generations. Okay, um, now we come to verse 20. The Lord said to Aaron, you will not have in inheritance in the land. Now remember, I had explained this before, that the priest and even the Levites were not allowed to purchase any land or to engage in any kind of um business outside the sanctuary and we we see here the lord reiterating that they should not own any land because he would provide for them all right in verse 21 i give to the levites all the tithes in israel as their inheritance in return for the work they do while serving at the tent of meeting again the lord is now explaining how he would take care of the levites before he was talking about the priest, now he is talking about the Levites. The Levites are the ones who would help Aaron to take care of the sanctuary. The Lord is also saying that he would take care of the Levites through the tithing that the people would bring. I just love this, okay? There is a general principle that when God calls a person into ministry, God would take care of them. God would be unfair to call a person into ministry to work for him and do not take care of their daily needs, not just spiritual, I'm talking about physical. So we see this principle in, in operation here that, and, and this is a lesson for so many young ministers, pastors or priests who are getting into ministry, they get really worried how will I take care of my family? Where is the money come from? How would people give? Truly, if God calls us into ministry, God would be unfair not to take care of our needs and to take care of the needs of the ministry. It is the will of God, as we are seeing right here, to take care of his priests, ministers, pastors who are teaching his word. God is fair. So if you are in a leadership position, such as a priest, a minister or a pastor, and it is a true calling from the Lord, and you are truthful to that calling, you don't have to worry how God will take care of you. He will. He is telling us right here. He will take care of your needs, personally, your family needs, and the needs for the ministry. Because it is God's will that we become fruitful and bear much fruit. So as ministers, we do not have to worry where the money will come from. We have to just trust God, that God is faithful. What God did here to Aaron and his descendants and to the Levites, he is still doing today in the body of Christ. God takes care of his church. One way or the other, he will get it done. So we just need to learn to trust God's word. Powerful. Okay. So we come to... Verse 22, from now on, the Israelites must not go near the tent of meeting or they will bear the consequences of their sin and will die. The Lord is just reiterating that the Israelites should not go there because he has dedicated the Levites to go there and walk and to assist Aaron. Verse 23, he just said exactly what I just explained. It is the Levites who are to do the work at the tent of meeting and bear the responsibility uh, for any offenses they commit against it. Again, we just see the Lord 
assigning duties. Levites are the ones to do the job. The Israelites are not to do that or they're going to suffer consequences. Okay. So the rest of those verses there, uh, the Lord is just reiterating how this is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Look at verse 24. I give to the Levites as their inheritance the tithes that the Israelites present as an offering to the Lord. Again, saying that the tithing that the Israelites would bring to him, he would give that to the Levites. Okay. And that principle is still the same when you go to church today, when you give your offerings and your tithing, that is supposed to help take care of the church, okay, to meet the basic needs of the church, such as the electricity, the water bill, and of course to pay for the pastoral staff, and also then uh, the extra money is supposed to go outside the church such as to support missionaries to help the poor to help the needy etc etc but primarily our offerings and a tithing that we give to our local churches is what helps the church uh, the pastor and the pastoral staff to um, feed themselves and take care of their families. That way they can focus on studying the word of God and prepare themselves as pastors and ministers to teach others. You know, a lot of times people don't appreciate what it takes to, to be a priest, pastor, minister, teacher of the word. People just take these things for granted. Just yesterday I was um, ministering to a lady who really wanted one of my teachings. And she said she had no donation to give, which was fine. I, I gave it to her anyway. I said that, you know what, I will give it to you as a seed. You pray about it. Whatever the Lord puts in your heart, you can give to the ministry so we can help other people. And she looked at me like uh, there were like four of them. And I just reminded them. I said, you know, the gospel message of Jesus Christ is free. What I mean by that is Jesus is a free gift to mankind. God has given us Jesus Christ as a free gift. Salvation is free. We have to just accept it by faith, okay? And I told him, I said, however, <laughs> and here is where many people don't understand, to proclaim the gospel, to reach as many people as possible for God, to get out there and to proclaim the gospel correctly, to reach people through media, through books, through events. All these things cost a lot of money. Okay? So even though the gospel is free, to proclaim the gospel is not free. We have to pay to get on radio. We have to pay to get on television. We have to pay to get this message onto a CD or a USB thumb drive, however way you are getting it. Where is all the money coming from? What do you think? You see, we really have to change the way we approach God's work because uh, we need a lot of money to reach people. So when I was explaining this to this lady, she just looked at me. She said, you know what, Dr. Ruth, you are right. And I'm like, if you've never thought about it that way? She said, no. I said, well, I'm glad. I just spoke some wisdom into your soul today. You see, we really have to understand when, when God says we should preach the gospel, God is believing that or God is expecting rather that his children, i.e. the body of Christ, would obey him and to give financially into his work. That way, those of us who are called to do this, we don't have to worry about having a second or a third job. We have to just focus on studying the word so we can get out there and proclaim it to as many people as possible without being hindered by financial hardships. But God has to depend on people like yourself to give wholeheartedly. Because when you give into God's work, you are truly supporting the spreading of the uncompromising gospel message of Jesus Christ. And based on the authority of the word of God, 
you will find out when you get into heaven how your little 50 bucks here, 100 bucks here, 20 bucks here was able to change your life, was able to change somebody's destiny from hell to heaven. So consider giving into God's work so that the priest, the minister, and the pastors don't have to worry about looking for other jobs so they can focus to prepare the message to reach out to others who have no other way of hearing the gospel, okay? So we see God reiterating that principle here, and that principle is still the same. We have to give to support his workers and then to proclaim the gospel. Okay, moving on here towards the last few verses in this um, chapter 18. Look at verse 25. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Levites and said to them, when you receive from the Israelites the tithe I give you as your inheritance, you must present a tenth of that tithing as the Lord's offering. This is so powerful, just like what I was saying. Even the Levites <laughs> were also mandated by God to give an offering and tithing to God. Isn't this something? So, in today's language, even me as a minister, I have to still give my tithing and my offering to my local church and even to my ministry. I have to give into this ministry just like all of you. I am, I am not exempted by God. A pastor who, who preaches the word of God or a priest or a minister is not exempt from giving. God is saying right here. Preachers, pastors, priests, ministers, whatever you want to call them, we also have to offer our tithing to the church. So that is what those uh, verses are, are saying. And um, so you can read those on your own. In this situation, in the Old Testament, the Levites were supposed to bring that and give it to Aaron, all right? And then Aaron was supposed to present it in front of the Lord. And um, let's take a look at verse 31. You and your household may eat the rest of it anywhere. This is the Levites after they had given their tithing and their offering to Aaron. The Lord is just saying that they can, Aaron, the high priest, can still eat of that um. Uh, offering whatever they bring, such as grain uh, or uh, the finest olive oil. Verse 32, by presenting the best part of it, you will not be guilty in this matter. Then you will not defile the holy offerings of the Israelites and you will not die. Again, the Lord just went on to reiterate how he wanted the offerings from the Levites to be handled by Aaron with holiness, with reverential awe and respect of the Lord. So this is a fascinating uh, section just to remind us leaders that God still expects us to give towards his work because that is his only way to further his work here on the earth. All right, so we are moving right along here to chapter 19 which is a very interesting chapter because the gist of this chapter is that we will learn how the Lord would use a red uh, a heifer or red heifer, if you want to say it, it's like an animal. Uh, the Lord would use this animal's ashes mixed with uh, water to purify people who commit sin in the camp and also to purify or to cleanse anyone who is exposed to a dead person or a corpse. Boy, this really tells us a lot about the Lord. What I mean by that is even someone who touches a dead person had to be purified. This just makes me truly, or it, it affirms how 
God, when he created us, the original plan was not for us to die. Death, as we know, came about as a result of the fall as recorded in Genesis chapter 3. So even the corpse of someone, God had to purify the camp, okay, before fellowship could be restored. Wow. So let us get into some of the verses here. Numbers 19. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is a requirement of the law that the Lord has commanded. Tell the Israelites to bring you a, a red heifer without defect or blemish and that has never been under a yoke. Again, selecting the best animal with no defect. A foreshadow of Christ. I had said that throughout. Again, red heifer. Red symbolizes blood. Okay. Verse 3. Give it to Eliza the priest. This is the son of Aaron. It is to be taken outside the camp and slaughtered. Okay. And after Eliza kills this red heifer in verse 4, the Lord uh, would give him instructions to take some of his blood in his finger and sprinkle it seven times towards the front of the tent of uh, meeting. Remember number seven, number of um, completion. Verse five. Okay. Take a look at uh, verse five and six there. That uh, heifer is to be burned. It had already been killed. And the uh, priest is supposed to take some cedar wood, hyssop, and scarlet wool, okay, and throw them onto the burning heifer. Remember, I had mentioned earlier how this cedar wood and hyssop had some medicinal components. So the priest is supposed to throw it into this heifer that was being offered to the Lord as a burnt offering. Thereafter, the priest himself was considered unclean. He was supposed to bathe himself. Come down to verse 8. The man who burns it must also wash his clothes and bathe with water. Okay, he too was considered unclean. Wow. Take a look at verse 9. Somebody who is clean, okay, i.e. had not gone close to the uh, burnt offering there of that red heifer was to gather up his ashes and put them in a place outside the camp. And this is uh, what the Lord would use as a way to cleanse the people from sin and uh, to cleanse them after they had come in contact with a dead corpse. It's really interesting that the Lord would choose a red heifer, red symbolizing blood, and of course, without defect, foreshadowing Christ. So we just see God's hatred for sin and how he had to purify the camp before fellowship could be restored. And um, you can read verses 10 there. It's just giving more instructions. And the Lord just went on to say it's a lasting ordinance. Take a look at verse 11. Whoever touches a man's cups would be unclean for seven days. Apparently, just like I was saying, if somebody in the camp, the Israelites camp, came in contact with the dead cops, they would be considered unclean for seven days. And then that uh, heifer, the ashes of that heifer mixed with water would be used to cleanse them. We are told that in verse 12. And once they are cleansed, they would be purified and then they would uh, be able to Restore fellowship with the Lord. Uh, let's come down to verse 14. This is the law that applies when a person dies in a tent. Anyone who enters the tent and anyone who is in it will be unclean for seven days. And every open container without a lid fasting on it will be unclean. You know, this really... This chapter, many scholars, Bible scholars believe that it is out of this ordinance about contact with a dead person that uh, we saw the behavior of the priest and the Levites in the story the Lord Jesus 
tells us out of the Gospel of Luke about the Good Samaritan. If you were to go back and read that story out of the Gospel of Luke, the Lord talked about how um, the priest went by this person who had been robbed and beaten and left for, for uh, dead. The priest came and walked by, didn't do anything. The Levite also came and walked by, didn't do anything. Then the Samaritan came and took care of the person. Many Bible scholars believe that it is from this ordinance right here in Numbers chapter 19 because the priest and the Levites were not supposed to come in contact with the dead cops. So in that story that the Lord taught us in, in the Gospels, we, we, we are told how the priest and the Levite ignored this man who was dying. Apparently, they thought he was dead. So based on this law, they weren't going to come close to that dead corpse. But as we know, Jesus Christ is a fulfillment of all of the Old Testament laws. So uh, the moral of that story was that uh, we are supposed to help our neighbor, anyone who is closest uh, to us, uh, meaning our not not just our physical neighbor where we live, it's just going by a stranger, anyone who needs help. Bottom line, anyone that comes in contact with you who needs help, we help. So this law obviously was fulfilled in Christ. So today, priests and Levites uh, or ministers and pastors can, of course, come in close contact with the dead. They can touch the dead. They can, um, they can do all of that. No purification is necessary once they come in close contact with the dead because Jesus Christ has fulfilled all of these laws. So I just wanted to um, bring that uh, story about a good Samaritan to your attention. And that is out of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. Uh, beginning, uh, I believe, verse 25 all the way to 37. Again, for those of you who are interested in going back to study the, the powerful story of the Good Samaritan, that was a parable that the Lord gave. You can check it out uh, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And when we get into the Gospels, in this podcast, we will talk more about that. Okay, so that uh, the rest of these verses, beginning with verse 15, all the way to the end of this uh, chapter, the Lord just went on to reiterate the purification process uh, that must take place at day number three and day number seven. You can go and uh, reread these verses on your own. And um, if you come down towards verse 22, which is the last verse out of this chapter, anything that an unclean person touches becomes unclean, and anyone who touches it becomes unclean till evening. Really, and uh, the Lord had also mentioned in verse 21 that this is all a lasting ordinance. So the biggest uh, principle or lesson we can learn from this um, chapter 19 is really the fact that God really hates sin. This is no-brainer. I've talked about this over and over. So you see how the Lord keeps giving further instructions how the people who sin must uh, purify themselves before they come to him. This again highlighting God's holiness and also God is really telling us here, I am a living God. I am the God of I am. Remember we talked about this in the book of Exodus. Death was not God's original plan for his children. That came about as a result of the, cur of the curse that uh, is recorded in Genesis chapter 3 uh, regarding Adam and Eve, like I mentioned earlier. So we see how God would not even allow the Israelites to, to touch a dead corpse or to come in close contact with a dead corpse, then come and immediately fellowship with him. They had to be cleansed from 
from death. They had to be purified from that before they could restore fellowship with him. Okay, again, moving forward, the book of Romans teaches us the wages of sin is death. So death was like the final blow. Death was like the final curse as a result of sin. So God had to really make sure that these people were purified from any exposure of a dead corpse before they could come in close contact with him, before they could fellowship with him, because he is a living God. He is a God of I am. And as you know, as Christians, we do not die. Okay, physically, when we take our last breath here, we transition immediately into eternity in the presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and we would stand before God, alive in our spirit and soul. So we serve a God of I am, a God of now, a God who is alive, not a dead God, like every other man-made counterfeit religion in the world. So those were the key highlights in this chapter, even though it seemed like it's archaic, but the principle here is still applicable. Okay, so now we are at the end of chapter 19. Let us take a look at the major principles we have learned from chapter 17 through 19. Principle number one. God is not moved <laughs> by our rebellious actions against him. We learned that uh, from the incident of Korah and how God reiterated and um, reminded the Israelites that Aaron was his chosen high priest. And we remember how Aaron's staff blossomed, okay? So God is faithful. He does not change. He did not change after the rebellious act from the Israelites against his choice. He just reiterated, reiterated his decision. Likewise, God's precepts in the Bible are immutable. Principle number two, God's best way to care for his workers we talked about that. His best way to care for his workers is from the offerings and the tithing from his children. And number three, we see God's profound hatred for sin and death. Okay? And I talked about how we serve a living God. God um, is reminding us that he is the God of now, I am. What is the application? God is still looking unto us, his children, to be the ones to support his work here on the earth as we give financially to the body of Christ. I already talked about that a lot. I am not going to belabor the point. You get it. Number two, God, God dislike for sin is still the same. God has not changed. God still hates sin and disobedience. So I have talked about this over and over. Today, if you are practicing sin against the Lord, you would cut a fellowship on your own with him. So you would be wise to repent in the name of Jesus Christ so that fellowship can be restored. I have talked about this over and over, so you get the point. And again, Christians do not die. Okay, our spirits and our souls are immediately transitioned into the presence of God in eternity when we take our last breath here. And then at the second coming of Christ, our physical uh, bodies will be resurrected and we would be given a glorified body. So uh, uh, it was never God's plan for us to die, but he has made a provision to take care of death uh, through uh, Jesus Christ uh, who uh, died and was raised from the dead. And lastly, obviously, your rebellious actions against God does not move God. As New Testament believers, God already moved on the cross in the person of Jesus Christ. So your actions 
Rebelling against God's law would only bring you much pain and suffering and open the door for your enemy, Satan, to come and kill, steal, and destroy you. But it does not move God. You would be wise to obey God. God doesn't move. God is a God of I am. He is always present. If you are rebelling against him, he is just waiting for you to confess, repent, and then you would be restored back into fellowship with him. So don't even waste your time to rebel against God's law, thinking that if I rebel against God's law in the Bible, then God will answer my prayer. In fact, if you did that, he would not answer and your enemy would attack you. So if you are living a rebellious life right now, I recommend that you repent and you ask Jesus Christ to cleanse you from that rebellious act. That way fellowship can be restored with the Lord. That way you can walk in his blessings, protections, and guidance. All right? So Father God, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you so much for your immutable character. We just thank you that you are such a faithful God that we can take your word and believe it today because these precepts are unchangeable. We thank you that you're such a good God. We ask you today to strengthen us through your Holy Spirit so we can walk in obedience. Strengthen us through your Holy Spirit so we can be fruit-bearing Christians. We just thank you for all the lessons you have taught us in your word today and we ask that you open our hearts as the Holy Spirit is always available to teach us and to sanctify us. We thank you for the God that you are a good God and by faith we believe this prayer is answered. This prayer is answered. In Jesus name we say Amen. So as you proceed with your day today remember that God is with you always enabling you to overcome in Jesus' name. I am Chris Oren. Stay blessed and bye for now.